All right, so let's, let's begin Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 this morning. And I'm really only going to cover 1 through 5, but 6 is part of it, and we'll get to that later. Um, so, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, before I continue, Michaela, have you pressed all the buttons? Good. So, I would imagine that that text that we just read, particularly verse 1, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, is probably the most well-known passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. The most well-known among all of the peoples of the earth in all of the Bible. More well-known than for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And we think that's universally known. I promise you this one's more well-known than that one. And it's probably the most well-known among people who have no faith at all. Among those who are not believers at all who think the Bible is rubbish, who think God is a joke, is probably the most well-known passage among those people. They will quote this verse right to your face, standing on mountains of self-righteousness. They'll stand on their lofty perches and they will hurl this verse down on poor, unsuspecting Christians, they'll throw it at us like meteors or lightning bolts, like there's some demigod standing on a lofty, holy mountain, Amen. and they have no faith. Amen. Now, this verse, they know. Judge not that you be not judged. And the sad thing, there's always an even sadder point to this, the sadder point is that you get that same kind of behavior from uh, and that same kind of distortion from people who claim to be followers of Christ, from people who claim to love the word that was written and given. This is the kind of thing that Paul meant when he said the gospel of Christ is foolishness to those who are lost. For many people, many people, the words that Jesus has spoken, they are taken very completely out of context here. They're stripped of their actual meaning in order to support a life that is free from any kind of righteous obligation or restriction. Amen. Judge not that you be not judged. You can't tell me what I should or shouldn't do. They want to use this phrase that Jesus has said as a way to support the glorification of self. You can't tell me what's right or wrong. You can't tell me what is just or unjust, and I know you can't because Jesus said 
don't judge. Doesn't your Bible tell you that you can't judge? Doesn't it say that? And like I said, even so-called Christians who they've, they've lost their way into progressive ideologies, they're going to use this verse to challenge you and, and to condemn you any time that you try to challenge those progressive ideologies and that, that false doctrine that gets spewed out of their mouth. When you kind of bring any plain teaching of Scripture up against that, they'll challenge you. Uh, Jesus said, don't judge. Don't judge. Who are you? To judge, and you're like, but uh, the, he also said these other things, and they're like, but but he said, don't judge. So, who are you to judge? Somehow, because of the twisted nature of sin, they have it in their minds that that any rebuke or evaluation of their behavior goes against the teaching of Jesus, because Jesus did, in fact, in this text as they think, believe that they, he said, don't judge at all. Amen. If a Christian takes a stand against sin, any kind of stand, whether it's a private stand or particularly a public stand, a public rebuke, then he is accused of judging others. And his words are discounted as judgmental hate speech. You can't say that because Jesus told you not to judge people. It seems to me that the non-believer and any, even many of these Christians who profess Christ, they seem to think, or at least they hope, that what Jesus said, or when he said, judge not that you be not judged, that he is commanding us to universally accept and approve any lifestyle or teaching. That because Jesus said, judge not, that means that we're supposed to not call out sin or wrongdoing. We're supposed to turn a blind eye to it. Live and let live. And we're supposed to do that for the sake. We're supposed to just accept those things, any kind of lifestyle, any kind of behavior, or any kind of teaching. We're supposed to accept those things for the sake of love. Oh, love is love. And just let love have the day. Do you remember the two great commandments that Jesus gave us? You know, they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? They're trying to test him, right? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus very, very aptly and very quickly said, well, the greatest commandment is that you should love God with everything you've got. So all your heart, all your mind, all your spirit, all your strength, basically everything, all of your being, love God. And he said, then the second one, they only asked him for one. He gave him two. So the second one's like unto it. It's just like the first one, to love God. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we are commanded to love God with everything we've got, and we are commanded to love others pretty much with unconditional love. To love them without prerequisite, to love them without precondition. Well, how can you say that, Brother Jeff? Well, I say that because Jesus said we're to love others as we love ourselves. No one puts preconditions on the love of self. No one puts preconditions on taking care of our, the needs that we have of self. It's just something that we instinctively and intuitively do. And Jesus said, love other people like that. Love them instinctively and intuitively, the way that you love yourself, without condition. So as Christians, we certainly are called to love others unconditionally. But we have never been called 
to unconditional approval. Those are two different things. Love is not the same thing as approval. And we would do well to understand that. Now the world will try to tell you that unless you approve, you do not love. And that is a, a wrong thinking. as a backwards idea of what love is. In fact, we are commanded to exercise judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 Paul is writing and he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So, respect those who admonish you. Now, to admonish someone means to warn them. I'm admonishing you, I'm warning you. I'm, 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 I'm telling you what you're doing is, is not right, and there's a better way. I'm specifically challenging your behavior or your thinking. That's what it means to admonish. So, we're supposed to respect those who challenge our behavior and our thinking, who warn us in a way of living. In other words, tell them what you're doing is not good. Here is a better righteous way. Down in verse 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. There's that word again, admonish. We're supposed to admonish the idle. Is, is he saying that, what, what do you think he means when he says that? Is he saying that we're supposed to just pat them on the back and say, well done? I love your idleness? No. What are you saying when he says admonish the idle? What are we supposed to do? Tell them, get off your hind end and do something. Right? Quit sitting around. You're being idle. Quit it. There's a better way. You shouldn't do that. It certainly doesn't mean to approve of their idleness. In verse 21, further on down, he says, Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Now, now he's talking about prophecy. It, when we're uh, judging prophecies and, and engaging whether or not prophecies in the, in the body are, are true. He says, Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. How can you test except that you judge. How can you hold fast except that you judge? And then he, he says, abstain from every form of evil. In order to abstain from every form of evil, we have to make a judgment about what is righteous and what is wicked, do we not? Ephesians 5, verse 11, Paul said, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead... Expose them. Now, he's got a two-pronged approach here that I think mirrors what Jesus told us in Matthew 7. Paul says, first, take no part in works of darkness. So we have to, that's, a, that's an inward self-reflective thing. Take no part in works of darkness. You must examine your own life and guard your own life to see that you are not taking part in any works of darkness. You take no part in it. You don't be involved in that stuff. You don't get wrapped up in that stuff. You don't get bogged down in that stuff. Make sure that you're not involved in darkness or sin. And then the secondly, he says, but do expose works of darkness. Instead of taking part in them, expose them. Now, that's an outward look. So we're supposed to look inside and say, okay, I'm not going to get involved in that stuff, and we're supposed to recognize it outside and expose it, to call it out. We've got to recognize sin. There is some kind of judgment that is going to have to occur in order to expose darkness, is it not? There's just no way to do this and not judge in some manner. 
There's just no way. John 7, 24, Jesus himself teaches us. He just outright tells us, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So we've got a, a negative command, do not judge by appearances. We have a positive command, do judge with right judgment. Exercise judgment. He means, I want you to make judgments. It's necessary that you make judgment. I want you to do it rightly, though. I want you to judge for the right reasons, in the right way, with the right heart, on the basis of the right things. This is the same Jesus that told us in our text this morning, judge not that you be not judged. And now here he is in John telling us, I want you to judge rightly. And that statement, I want you to judge rightly or do judge rightly, did not come out of nowhere. I mean, there's a reason that he said it. There was this huge controversy because Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. So there's the, you remember the pool of Bethesda with the five porches and all the, and the Bible says the angel would come and stir the water and the first person in the water would be healed. And there's all these, you know, sick and blind and lame people there just waiting for the angel to stir the water. And there's this one man who is an invalid. And the Bible says he was an invalid for 38 years. So a very long time. And Jesus goes up to him and he says, do you, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, well, yeah, of course. But, I mean, when the angel comes, I've got no one to put me in the water. And by the time I get to the water, someone else has already got in it. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And that's what he did. And John is very careful to point out to us, this is in John chapter 5, that this happened on the Sabbath. That's notable because Jesus did something on the Sabbath. And everyone had a fit about it. This big controversy that was raised over you healed someone on the Sabbath. And here in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus tells him in verse 21, he says, I did one work. Now he's talking about healing the invalid at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. I did one work and you marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So you, you have this law that says you have to circumcise um, uh, a boy at, on the eighth day after he's born. And if the eighth day happen to ha happens to fall on a Sabbath, you're going to go ahead and do the work of circumcision in order to stay in compliance with the law. So that's essentially what he explains to them in verse 23. He says, If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Don't judge according to appearances, but judge with right judgment. You've got to look beyond the externals, beyond the surface layer. If someone did not understand the law of circumcision or the purpose of the Sabbath, they would accuse you of breaking the law because you circumcised someone. You did that work of righteousness on the Sabbath day. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus did. He accused them of not being law keepers, which was scandalous. He, he took their, their accusal of him, their judgment, and he turned it around Onto them. And he said, I want to show you how ridiculous you're being. 
Just a few couple verses up in verse 19, you'll see that. Jesus said, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to murder me? And look what their response is in verse 20. The crowd answered, You've got a demon! Why, who's trying to murder you? They get all up. You've got a demon? How dare you accuse us of not keeping the law? How dare you accuse us of trying to kill you? And they were actively plotting to kill him because of what he did on the Sabbath. Oh, who does this guy think he is? They're all bent out of shape over Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath. And it's for reasons like that that Jesus had said in Matthew 12 that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He said, do good. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Amen. That's the heart of what Micah 6.8 tells us, isn't it? God, the Micah 6.8, has, he has told you, O man, that uh, what, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God require of you? Number one, do justice. Isn't that what it says? Do just, do it. You got to do justice. How do you do justice without making some kind of judgment? But in your judging, in your doing of justice, love kindness and mercy. Walk humbly. We've got to judge Loving kindness, measuring out. He said, with the measure that you measure, we measure back to you. Measuring out mercy. Because if you don't measure out mercy, you won't, you won't be measured mercy. If you measure out judgment, you'll be measured judgment, right? So do justice, measuring out mercy, loving kindness. Walk humbly before God. Understanding that when you make judgments, that one day you're going to be judged. That everyone stands before the judge. So when you measure out judgment, do so humbly. So back, back to my point, love is not the same thing as, as approval. I can love you and not approve of anything, any of the sinful things that you do. Amen. Amen. I don't have to approve in order to love you. In fact, if I approve of your sin, I'm not loving you. Amen. I'm leading you astray, probably because of the big log in my own eye. I can't see the way. In fact, that's exactly what we're charged to do. We're charged by the clear teachings of Jesus and the whole rest of Scripture to, to call out sin, to disapprove of the sinful things that we see. Amen. That we're charged to do it rightly. So what do we make of this then? Judge not that you be not judged. You have to read further, right? <laughs> I've told you before, Scripture is not written in a vacuum. So there's text and context and, and history and all that stuff to go into it. So you can't read it in a vacuum because it wasn't written in a vacuum. You've got to read it further. If you just read that sentence, judge not that you be not judged, then you might come away with some of the backwards thinking that some of these people have about this command. But if you read on a little further, if you just, just give it some patience and some time and read a few more words, you'll get what, that it's a, what Jesus means. You'll see that he's, just, he's giving us a warning against a certain kind of judgment, not against all judgment. We have to have Christian discernment. Look at what Jesus actually says in Matthew 7. Back in verse 1 of Matthew 7. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, what have I said when, when we see those, uh, what have I said to do when we see those words 
uh, argument words like for and therefore and because and so and so that. We, we, we need to find out. We need to stop. There's an argument being made. We need to understand and see what is the argument. What is the argument? So if we see for or therefore, what is it therefore? If we see because, what is the cause? If we see so or that, what, why is it so? So we need to look at this. Why is it so that you will not be judged? You will not be judged if you do not judge, Jesus says. So we have a qualifier. There's another one of those argument words, for. We need to ask, what is it there for? It's there to explain what Jesus means when he says, judge not that you will not be judged. So we have to read it. Why is it? There's a reason that Jesus said, judge not that you will be not judged. It's because for... With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So he's warning us against a certain kind of judgment, is he not? So recall Micah 6, 8. Do justice, love kindness. If you judge without kindness and mercy, you can expect to be judged without kindness and mercy. Remember in Luke, Jesus said, Give and it will be given. Forgive and you will be forgiven. So we're being warned against a certain kind of self-righteous, swift, rash, uninformed, merciless judgment. Any kind of judgment or standard that you would not want to be imposed on yourself. For with the judgment you pronounce, and let's add on your neighbor, you will be judged. Do you see that Jesus is applying the second commandment, second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how that applies here? If you wouldn't judge yourself so harshly, give your neighbor the same kind of mercy and judge with mercy. Now, we could run all kinds of races and we could, we could get off into all kinds of error by excusing behavior just because we don't want to be judged for it. If we, if we take this message that Jesus has given in this command, judge not that you be not judged because if you, the kind of judgment you meet out is the kind of judgment that's going to be meted out back to you. We could take that and say, well, then I better not be offering any kind of judgment. I better not be making, I just better excuse everything because I don't want to fall under judgment. That is error. We get in all kinds of error for that, and that's where people try to take this passage. That's not what Jesus is saying. We need to make right judgment, so we need right application. And here's what Jesus, here's where he gives us that, verses 3 and 4. If we see some, and, and look, th these are outlandish examples that he gives us in verses 3 or 4. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your own eye? I mean, if you really visualize these examples, he gives kind of humorous. It's kind of funny. I mean, imagine, just, just visualize it. You've got a guy sitting here, he's got a log in his eye, I mean, which is literally, if you take it literally, that's impossible, but he's got a log in his eye, and, and, and he's, you know, piddling on his phone, you know, minding his own business, and some guy walks in and sits down, like, and he looks up, and says, hey, dude, you, you got a little something in your eye there. You might want to get that checked out. Well, it's ridiculous, right? It's a ridiculous Almost comical example. Jesus does that on purpose because he wants us to remember. He gives you something ridiculous because, and it's just the, uh, just a, a ridiculous example, like an extreme example. But he wants us, he wants us to stick it in your head. He wants you to remember because it clearly gives us an image of what it looks like 
to pass judgment on someone, even if it's just internal judgment, in an area where we're, we're failing miserably ourselves. Verse 4, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So now the guy with the big log in his eye, now he's going to go over there and try to help this guy get a speck out of his eye. And he's got a big log in his. It's, a, again, a ridiculous example. Okay. So I know you've all heard an old saying. It goes something like this. Don't take financial advice from a poor person. Or don't take weight loss advice from a fat person. Or don't take relationship advice for someone who can't keep a relationship. And why is that? Why do we have those sayings? Why would we say things like that? Because it don't make sense for us to do that. The poor person is trying to give you financial advice, how you should manage your money. And they filed bankruptcy three or four times because they can't manage their money. What do we call that person? A hypocrite. And what does Jesus say? Verse 5, you hypocrite. That's what we are in these situations. We're hypocrites. We're trying to tell someone this is how you ought to do it when you just ignore the way I'm doing it. Because in, in the parenting world, we have, that, we have a saying for that, do as I say, not as I do. And you are a hypocrite when you do. So we're going to judge and condemn others when we're guilty of the same things. You know, we're so easy on ourselves, right? Isn't that the warning that Jesus gives us? <clears throat> but he says, remember, what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly before God. So there's a fix. There's a way to judge rightly. Jesus did say, I want you to judge with right judgment. Paul said that you guys have to have to, you know, expose sin and make sure you're not walking in sin. Verse 5, you hypocrite. Then he said, first, take the log that's in out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Amen. So let me just make this observation here if, with verse 5. Um, if, it, if Jesus had intended... As, as so many people suggest, if Jesus had intended that we not make judgments at all, that we not call out sin, that we not look at someone and say, hey, this is wrong and it should not be. You shouldn't be acting this way. This is wrong behavior. This is the wrong way of thinking. This is the wrong doctrine. If Jesus had intended for us to not make judgments at all in this wise, verse 5 would not exist. He would never have said it. He would have left it at verse 4 and he would have just said, Hey guys, it's ridiculous for you to judge anyone's behavior when yours is so wicked to begin with, so don't make judgments. And he would have stopped right there. But he didn't leave it there. Because we are called to speak the truth in love. Jesus has given us the keys to knowledge. He's given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It is our sacred responsibility, our charge, our great commission and commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what the great commission is built on. It's built on that second great commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we are, it's our responsibility to speak truth in love and to call out sin and to point the way to Christ. You know, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights as we work through uh, disciple-making and, and, and that sort of thing. No one understands or agrees that they need a Savior if they don't think they need to be saved. 
If you do not believe that you're in any kind of danger, then you do not believe you need to be saved. So we must tell the world about sin. It's foundational to the message of the gospel. Otherwise, why is the gospel good news at all? That's why Paul said, you know, the law is what taught me about sin. If it weren't for the law, I wouldn't have known about sin. It's been my schoolmaster to point me to Christ. Jesus said, before you judge, though, before we go start pointing that finger, look inward. Make sure you're not about to admonish someone for something that you're failing in also. Isn't it just wonderful? Doesn't it just do great things for the church and the witness of the church when the preacher is preaching about adultery and he's preaching against uh, pornography and he's preaching against all these wicked, lascivious, lustful things and then in the news we find out he's been visiting prostitutes and doing all the things he's preaching. Doesn't it just do wonderful things for the witness of the church? No, it destroys the body of Christ. It destroys the witness of the church. When the people who claim to carry the name of Christ are living like they're not married to Him. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. You've taken your name upon yourself. You're not living like that, yet you're calling everyone else to a life that you're not even living. And you're saying, this is the truth, but you don't live like it's the truth. Do you see that? The, the point is not, the point, Jesus is not making the point to say, never judge so that you can escape judgment. The point is to judge rightly. The point is to examine your own life so that you'll be able to judge rightly and help others walk righteously. Jesus said, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So examine yourself so that you can help your brother because then you'll be able to see clearly. You'll see the sin in your own life. You can deal with it. You can lay it on the throne of grace. You can deal with it. And now you can see clearly to help your brother. How can we uh, witness effectively to the world and show them the way of righteousness if we cannot see clearly, if we're blinded by these huge logs in our eyes, if we ourselves are walking in darkness? Do you remember in chapter 6 when Jesus said... um, He was talking about the eye being the lamp of the body. And he said, if your eye is bad, then your body is full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you're you're trying to lead someone, if you're telling them this is how you need to act, this is how you need to behave, this is what the Scripture says, this is what, if you're trying to do this, right, and and you've got this big log in your eye, you're trying to lead them, you can't see clearly, what you have is a case of the blind leading the blind. So the blind man who's following you, he's a fool for following you because you're blind. And you are both a fool and a hypocrite because you insist that you be followed and you're blind. You cannot be an effective witness for Christ if the light in you is darkness, if you're blinded by these giant logs of sin in your life. So this this don't judge is not a Uh, uh, an excuse for aberrant behavior. It's not an excuse to walk wickedly. It's not an excuse to have it your way. Jesus is calling us to something higher. He said, you need to examine the sin in your own life so that you can help others with what's in their life. So you can help with the speck in their eye. 
Jesus says, first get the log out of your own eye. In other words, examine yourself first in the light of the knowledge of Christ, knowing that you will also be judged one day so that you can be effective at helping others walk in righteousness. So we ought to be asking ourselves, what is it that I notice about people? Am I always noticing the shortcomings of other people rather than noticing the good things about them? Am I always noticing reasons to complain rather than noticing reasons to praise? Am I always assuming the worst rather than assuming the best? You know, we do that. We get ourselves wrapped up in a whole lot of tension and a whole lot of offense because we assume the worst when there's no malice behind something that someone does, but we assume it. They just weren't thinking. They weren't being con ultimately considerate. So what? Am I harboring an unjust attitude towards someone? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. So Christ isn't, calling, he isn't telling us, you guys just forget about judgment. Forget about discernment. And we'll talk about some of that next week when we, Lord willing, we'll cover the next verse about casting your pearls before swine. He doesn't tell us just to throw caution to the wind. He's calling us to a higher standard of living so that we can be right judges. We all good with that? Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you for this uh, group of believers here, Lord. I thank you for each and every one of them, Lord. And I pray your blessings upon them, upon us as we leave this place, Lord. Help us to, to have good discernment, Father. Help us to be humble as we... Um, as we engage the world, Lord, help us to be humble as we make righteous judgments in your name. Not, not to lift ourselves up or be prideful, Lord, but, but to help our brother with the speck. Help us to see clearly, Father, and to lay our own burdens upon you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Keep us safe as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.